episode of Legends in the Dark, where idle hands are our plaything. My name is Jay. <laughs> and I'm Leslie. How are you doing, Leslie? I'm doing well. I'm trying to think of a movie that they... Is there a movie just called Idle Hands? Yes. Okay, I don't think I've ever seen it. I just heard of it. You're young. <laughs> who who was it? It was one of your friends. Well, it's a mutual friend, but she's more of your friend. Who said that we should just do a podcast where we just watched all the movies that Leslie's never seen before? Yeah. Yeah, that would be my friend Shauna. And yes, she was right. We probably could do about a full season just based on that. I know. It is really surprising how, many, how much I love movies and television that I haven't really seen. I think it's because I'm, I tend to go back to, like, I find a movie, I love this movie. I'll watch it until I'm sick of it. And then it's like a year later, I'll be like, oh, here's a new movie. It's 10 years old. I love it. Have you guys heard of this hangover? It's like, geez, are you serious? Then everybody will be talking about the movie and you'll be like, shh, shh, don't say anything. I haven't seen the movie yet. Like the movie's 10 years old, Leslie. It's, it's like, Leslie, it's The Exorcist. It came out in the 70s. We get to talk about it now. 30 years old. You're like... What's this strange movie? It's called like Star Wars. <laughs> I guys, guys, I just found out. No spoilers. Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I know you guys are really into comic books. Have you guys noticed that there's a lot more comic book movies lately? <laughs> I know what's with this uh, Infinity stones thing i feel like that's going somewhere <laughs> it almost feels like there's kind of like an interconnecting story arc building up to a great finale oh man i don't know i'm on thor to the dark world and there's some crazy stuff building up so okay this is a true story i was at work and i was walking back to my car with a couple other women who um we all we all park in the same spot so we all leave at the same time so we could walk together and I forgot how we got on the subject, but we were talking, they have kids and we were talking about adult cartoons in the sense of like cartoons where now you don't let them watch like Simpsons and Family Guy because the jokes might be too much. So we were talking about that and I said, um, we were talking about Simpsons and then I said, yeah, I haven't seen it in years. Um, I sometimes see the Family Guy, yeah, the Family Guy, but I haven't seen that in years either. And this one woman, and she's about, she's younger than me, she's in her 20s, and said, oh, is that the one with the alien? And I'm like, no, it's done by, that's the American dad. Um, it's done by the same person, and I couldn't remember the name. And I said, but it's Family Guy that I'm talking about. And she was like, oh, I've never seen it. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's understandable. Understandable. I says, oh, how about uh, American Dad? Nope, never seen it. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's totally understandable. And then I said, but The Simpsons. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've seen The Simpsons. And I told this to Chris. And Chris has a friend, a co-worker, who's never seen The Simpsons. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like, it's so weird. I think it was just such a staple in my childhood that, like, it's weird to me sometimes when someone else doesn't have that same experience. But then now I totally understand when I tell people, yeah, I've never seen that. And they're like, how is that possible? <laughs> I had saying, a feeling. Like, I've never watched Jurassic Park. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So uh, how's your week going? It's going good. It's just a little more of the same. Same here. Actually, you know what? Maybe we should shout out to uh, Shauna. 
Since hey, Shauna. Hopefully Hi. you're still listening to our show. Yeah, hopefully you're still listening. I, I remember when we first started, I had so many downloads in our hometown. And I looked the other day, and we have, like, two recently. Like, not per episode, but, like, just in the beginning, it used to be, like, oh, a new episode. Here's all the downloads from our hometown. Now it's kind of two, and I kind of tell people, I'm like, so, uh, guys still listening? And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, lies. I see your statistics. Like, we can see you by name. <laughs> no, we can't. But you know what? I'll say it anyways. I think the only two people that I know of that of my circle of our circle of friends that actually listens to our podcast is again my friend Shauna who lives in Arkansas, and then you know Becca, my my fiance. So there's just those two. Well, okay, so Becca is in our hometown, so that's the one person download. I think shout out to longtime listener, hopefully Andrew. His family. Oh no, because it's weird because he used to come over a lot and they used to like Chris and him used to play video games. And so he would be like, Oh man, that one episode. Like it, it, he would tell me which episodes he watched. I'm like, Okay, cool. He's actually listening. So I haven't seen him in so long. I can't judge if we're doing a good job. Like he was always my barometer. Like, okay, cool. We're doing good. And then he'd be like, Oh, that one part was so funny. And I'm like, Okay, awesome. Okay, this is great feedback. And There's then this guy, Jay. Jay's amazing. No, actually, he did say something about you one time. I can't remember what it was, but I digress. Like, so now I'm not. He has the voice of an angel. <laughs> but now I'm not talking to him. It's like Chris still talks to him. And we just saw each other at Christmas, you know, six feet apart when we were exchanging gifts. But, you know, since there was so short a time, I don't want to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the family? But really, what did you think of the last episode? <laughs> don't breathe on me. Yeah, don't breathe on me. Just, you know. But, uh, tell, okay. how, tell us how amazing we are. <laughs> Not that we don't already know, but we like to hear it from others. But, uh, okay, well, I guess we should get to it since uh, we've been just teasing about the podcast. <laughs> I think you're going first tonight. We're name dropping. That's how business is done, Leslie. Yeah, name dropping names people don't know. We named names. Why was if we just like randomly say a name and someone's like, dude, they said my name. It's like, well, how do you know they were talking about you? How many Alexes are there out there, really? Paul. Yep, shout out to Paul. Hey, love you, Paul. You're a great guy. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. So anyways, let's get this road on the show. I see what you did there. <laughs> so today, we're going to one of my favorite places. The Isle of Japan. Which I'm so glad when you do stories from Japan because I I don't mean to mispronounce names. It's not that I don't practice, but You're I just, just think is at it, I, know. I know I'm terrible at it. It just it it almost physically hurts me when sometimes I try to say the name and I can't. I get embarrassed and I get all red. So sometimes I really shy away from stories from other countries because I, I have problems with names. But I'm so glad that you are just there to take the mantle and be all like that. Okay, here I did go. Now it's Jay's time to shine. <laughs> okay, shine, Jay. Full disclosure, it's kind of funny when you butcher the names from your own ancestral area. You know, England can be tricky. I'm just saying. Mm, tricky. Tricky, tricky. Today, again, like I said, we're, we're going to Japan, and we're going to be talking about the ghosts of the tsunami. Have you seen the um, the Netflix episode on that, the ghosts of the tsunami? 
I haven't. No, you were you were telling me about that earlier too, and I was I haven't actually started watching second season yet, so I haven't gotten around to that. It's really good. It's so sad. It's but it's done really well, so I highly recommend it. And I'm, you know, I'm really excited about these stories because honestly, they're so spiritual over there that the respect that they have about these stories, it's amazing. No, they have a lot of respect for, you know, like the, for the dead, you know, they exactly very respectful towards like the spirits and ancestors and things like that. So it's, it's always really interesting to talk about the, you see like the, a large difference at least is in my opinion there's such a large difference between ghost stories from from that from there as opposed to ghost stories from here yeah it's it's because we say ooh ghost stories it's creepy it's it's mysterious they're saying it's a ghost story it's a story about this lost soul and mm. it's it's taken a completely different level so i'm really excited to hear some of these stories because it's just so poignant so as Many know on uh, March 11th of 2011, there was a devastating magnitude 9.1 earthquake which rocked East Asia's seafloor, which sent up a wave of, you know, ocean water, the height of a 12-story building into the Japanese coast. More than 15,000 people lost their lives in that, tra- in that disaster. Millions lost access to running water and electricity, and more than 120,000 buildings were destroyed within minutes. Also, the nuclear power plant went that that was in that in the coastal area there went through a meltdown process, which just added on top of like the horrible things that were already happening because of the tsunami and the earthquake. In the wake of this disaster, it's become very common for stories of encounters with victims of the tsunami, the spirits of the deceased from that event. So frequent. It's actually almost more like an epidemic, or it was an epidemic, you know, during that early time period after the disaster hit. I got a few here from stories that were told based on uh, cab drivers. Now, in a lot of these areas, many of the population that was left after the disaster was relocated. So a lot of people who were operating cab services in those areas kind of just had to do the best they could because there just wasn't as much many people around anymore. Everybody was basically leaving. First story that I have here is from in the city of uh, Ishinomaki, which is one of the cities that was most hit by the, by the disaster. A lot of the cab some of the cab drivers claim to have been, have to have picked up passengers who turned out to be tsunami ghosts. Just to break it down, in that area, when the tsunami hit, there was 3,087 deaths and 2,770 people missing uh, and 50,000 buildings destroyed. Again, like I said, the population was mostly relocated and cab drivers were just hoping, hoped for the best when they got their shifts, when they took their shifts. Okay, so one cabbie told him the counter he had in 2011. So this was only months after the tsunami. This was like in June. So there's barely any customers except that until finally he saw a young woman hailing him from a particularly hard-hit area of the city. The woman wore a heavy winter coat in the middle of summer and looked completely drenched. The driver barely had time to realize that he that it hadn't rained in days. 
so it was strange that this woman was just completely soaked wearing a big old thick coat. The woman asked to be taken to a largely abandoned area in the uh, Minamiyama district. The driver told her, quote, that area is almost empty, are you sure? There was a long silence, and then, in a shivering voice, the woman asked the cab driver, have I died? When the terrified driver turned around to face the customer, there was nothing nor anyone in the back seat of his car. It, it gives me shivers. Just it, it just gives me shivers. Now, another cabbie in, the Sen, in Sendai City uh, picked up a sad-faced man who requested to be driven to an address that no longer existed. Halfway through the journey, the driver looked into the mirror to see that the rear seat of his car was empty. Now, this is where kind of like you, sh- you see kind of like the, the respect that you still show the dead, even though most people would probably freak out and turn around and immediately go back. This, this cab driver kept driving to the destination that the, the customer gave him and where he stopped in front of the leveled foundations of a destroyed house, got out of the cab, politely opened the, pass- the, the rear passenger door to allow the invisible passenger out at his former home. That's in the um, Netflix show. They do talk about that. And they, they do talk about, and this is sad for me to say, but like when I watched it, I was like, oh, why have, what happens if they're just lying about these fares? And I'm sitting like, oh, no. You just get that feeling from these stories. They're like, no, they're not lying about taking these people, these spirits, all the way to this place. And in the Netflix show, they actually say with the cab drivers, they would pay the fare because they had sometimes the the spirit would not disappear until like they start the meter. They're about you know ten minutes from picking them up, and they look back and they see they're gone. And they didn't really explain in the show that they would still take them to the place. They just explained that the cab drivers would pay for the fare. Yeah, exactly. Now there's other smaller smaller stories, less specified, but you know still kind of has that air of creepiness slash sadness about it. There is a ghost of an old woman who supposedly haunts a refugee home in Onagawa and who apparently regularly sits down for a cup of tea in the living at the table in the living room, much to the, I guess, the astonishment of the startled people who live there. The cushion that is left out for her there purportedly is soaked with seawater every time her visits are over. So she appears, sits down, has a cup of tea, disappears, and then cushion is soaked in seawater. There is a a man who lives in Kurihara who claims he now despises the rain as he constantly sees the eyes of tsunami victims that he knew within puddles that are left after a rainstorm. That's heartbreaking. In, and uh, forgive me if this is probably the only one of the names that I feel like I may mispronounce, but we'll, we'll see. In Tagajo, one of the fire stations in that area receives incessant phone calls from an abandoned and destroyed uh, area until the firefighters drive, drive out to the caller's ruins to pray for the dead. As soon as they make, say their prayers, the calls stop immediately. That um, it kind of will lead into my stories, but like those types of calls fascinate me 
because it just doesn't happen in in really bad disasters. It it happens. It seems like it happens all the time with that, and I'm, I'm fascinated with the whole concept of ghost calls or these phantom calls of not the one where there's a miscommunication or robo calls, not those calls, the calls where someone is on the other line making the call, but no one's there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now the last story I have here, this one's a little bit, one a little bit more detail. It's about a man named Takeshi Ono, not his real name, but this is the name that was given because he didn't want to provide his real name in the story who supposedly became possessed by the spirits of tsunami victims after visiting the disaster zone months after it occurred. So in the story that I read, there's two different ones I read, and one gave a little bit more information than the other. So what actually happened is this man went down to the disaster zone to see things firsthand, because he, as a lot of people did at that time, unless you were like right there in the middle of it, people would see it like on the news and things like that and kind of have like this, like kind of a detachment from it. Like almost like it wasn't really happening. Like it was that, it was just that horrendous. Like you just like, you know, a lot of people couldn't wrap their heads around it. They're like, this can't be real. This is just horrible. Right. Yeah. Originally this man uh, went with his, with his family drove, made the drive from where they lived miles away from where it actually happened like they were more inland obviously they it didn't hit as bad in that area or at all so they drove down this drove up over the mountains came down to the coastline and then saw firsthand i guess what you could say like a um a buildup of damage like you know how sometimes you say like okay this is it starts off you start seeing a little bit and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and then you get to the main spot where it happened he basically says it was you get there and you can tell right away this is it it happened it came it spent itself it left and now there's just nothing but destruction in its wake like one then he went down by himself to kind of walk that coastline you know he had done this so many times before and said the atmosphere was just completely different nothing left and after he's seeing this monumental loss and devastation he returned home and had dinner with his family you know had a couple of was noted that he had a couple of beers after dinner or with dinner but once dinner was made things start got a little strange because he started making like random phone calls to friends and family not really having anything to say just kind of saying like hey how are you or say that he felt like this increasing feeling of being lonely now it cuts off and then the next day you know his wife goes to work his mom or mother-in-law i forgot if it was his wife his mother or mother-in-law but they're you know going around doing the chores and stuff like that and he could tell like there's like this tense feeling in the house like they're they're angry almost like upset for some reason his wife gets home has gets the same feeling from his wife he asks her like what's wrong she tells him i'm going to divorce you and he just like what why why would why are you divorcing me his wife and mother tell him the night before when he was done making his random phone calls all of a sudden he rolled down on all fours and began licking the tatami mats which is basically like their little you know, the bamboo mats that they put up, that they put on the floors and squirming on them like a beast. He then snarled 
you must die. You must die. Everything must die and be lost. Then went outside to an unsown field and began rolling over and over in the mud as if being tumbled by a wave, shouting, there, over there, they're all over there, look. That's creepy. He then stood up, walked into the field, calling, I'm coming to you, I'm coming over to that side. Finally, his wife wrestled him back into the house, and which at which point he just continued screaming and carrying on for most of the night until about 5 a.m. when he cried out, there's something on top of me collapsed and then fell asleep and he doesn't remember any of that he didn't remember any of that that kind of thing continued on for about three days like off and on like he would also look outside and say that and claim that he saw various people walking around outside looking about the same as what the the cab drivers described like they're covered in muddy wet clothes and they're just kind of wandering around he saw various types of people like you know like men women children old men couples things like that and they're just wandering around he'd wonder to himself like why are they all wet and muddy why aren't they like why don't they get a change of clothes and things like that so he's like he's not really sure what's going on there are there are moments where they'd be normal and then other moments where he'd be like fix helping his wife fix dinner and then he'd wave a knife at her and say like drop dead everyone else is dead so die so it got to the point where they finally said they needed to do something about this. They took uh, Takeshi Ono to a uh, to a man named Reverend Kaneta, Kaneta, who was a chief priest at a Zen temple in the inland town of Kurihara, where he found where he was found out that he had been possessed by not just a singular spirit the way they made it sound is that he was possessed by multiple things like men women animals even that were everything that had been caught up and lost in that tsunami wow you know i think that you meet the reverend in the netflix show but when he tells the story i think they used well you know what if the guy did not want to be known i think they used a female but that she was still in in shadow when this when they told the story if it's the same story mm-hmm. that's interesting so he was possessed by various different things which explains a lot of behaviors he had shown including the licking mats and being on all fours and snarling and things like that he went through you know a, a cleansing like an exorcism with with the priest priest chanted a heart sutra chanting the sutra to the to Takeshi he felt his arms raising up like something was lifting up out of him and then finally he the the priest splashed him with holy water and then he was good after that now it can be said though when they I don't I'm not they may have gone into it in the in the Netflix special um on well unsolved unsolved mysteries I'm not sure but they he, even the priest said it's not a matter of believing in the in the spirits as far as like does if you believe if you personally believe it but it matters that the person who's experiencing that pain is one who believes it and that makes it real yeah no this you know in the past when you watch the 80s robert stack unsolved mysteries 80s and 90s and you see the scary ones they do kind of do it whereas here's the story 
and maybe there's some history about it, but like, here's a story. Ooh, a woman in blue is on the cliff face. This one, it was really about the psychology also behind disasters like this and also their belief system. And it was a really interesting, I think he did, I don't know if it's the same reverend, but he did and his, excuse me, and his wife also talk about it, about the belief in, they talk about trauma and PTSD and how they deal with their grief. And it was a really fascinating episode. Like I said, very poignant, very sad, but also a little creepy. Yeah. And it was also kind of brought into the story that the the possible reason why Mr. Ono was possessed in the first place is that when he was walking on that beach, that he did so without paying proper respects to the dead. Kind of left himself more open. Because, I mean, you can imagine that if there was any spirits in that area, they were very angry or sad or confused. confused. Yeah. It's it's interesting how, like, okay, so you hadn't seen the Netflix show. I just watched the Netflix show. I haven't really read up on it like you have. So we have two different kind of places where we're coming back from this. And yet I still heard the same thing that you read about where the one story where you're, the, he asked the cab driver, am I dead? They talk about that too in Netflix. So it's interesting. It's not one of these where I feel like more American in English stories where it's like they don't know they're dead, so they have to be told to go for a light, where this one is, even though they don't know they're dead, they're just like, oh, am I dead? Like, it's almost like con- conscious of, I know something's not right. This is weird. Kind well, of thing. You know I, what I mean? That's, and if I'm, if I, if I, unless I'm mistaken, that's part of the belief system in in their religion or in their their culture, I mean, where when somebody dies, their spirit doesn't just automatically just go up to, you know, heaven. They have to be guided there. That's why they, why they say their say the prayers over the dead and things like that. Is because if they don't do that, then the spirit just gets up and just kind of wanders around. It's just really interesting. I'm glad you did the stories. Like I said, I've been wanting to do it for a while, but I just did not. I knew I was going to. I was going to butcher the names. I did not want to do it because the stories are so. It, even with the Netflix one, they tell the stories of people losing people, and it's like gut wrenching. Like, and they have real footage of the tsunami when it was happening, of the earthquake, and it's just like, it is one of those things where you you're feeling it. So that was the ghosts of the tsunami. <sighs> Good job, Jay. Good job. I, I think that one was was a big one. One of the reasons why I was looking at that story too is because of the, I know it's, it's a different number system out there. So it's not nine one one, but it's what <clears throat> they're, um, I think it's like two one one for them or something like yeah, that. It's basically their emergency line system. And I was intrigued by these calls they got, uh, you invite, you and I have talked before about the TV show paranormal nine one one, where, first responders tell their stories. I've been really wanting to do these stories for a while. And so tonight I got three stories about first responders. Now the first one is actually documented. It was on the news. It was on CNN. It was written up in the newspapers. So it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty documented. 
The other two, uh, I'll admit, I got them from um, Reddit. And again, those ones we'll just have to take with a grain of salt. But I really did find them interesting. First story I have, and my sources is the New York Daily News um, in an article by Joel Landau. So we start off with a woman named Jennifer Grosbeck, who was only 25 years old. And one night, one Friday night, she was crossing a bridge in her car in um, Spanish Fork on her way home to Springville, Utah, when she hit a cement barrier, causing her to go off the road and into the water below and submerging her car. And I guess how it was described later, it's upside down. So from where, from what the articles I read, from how the car went down, you couldn't see it from the road. So people would be passing all night and until the day of Saturday day, not seeing the car. And it wasn't until fishermen discovered the car at 12.30 p.m. So at this time, the car was in there for almost like 14 hours. And it's a cold water. It went off about 10.30 p.m. the night before. Now responders, they answered the call and from the fishermen and they noticed it was upside down and they're trying to assess to best approach the car. They could see someone in the front when officer, as, as reported by Officer Tyler Beddoes, that all the responders, and later it, in the article it talks about there's like three policemen and four firefighters. So all of them heard a call for, him for help from the car. And the voice was quoted as saying, quote, help me, we're in here. And he's quoted as saying it was clear as day. They all heard it. So they went, you know, full rescue mode. The went, They went into the cold water and the four policemen and the three firefighters were able to form a line. And first thing they saw was upside down in her car seat was, um, or his, they didn't give the name, but was an unconscious 18-month-year-old. And so they pull her out. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm saying her. I don't know if it's a him or her. They just said 18-month-year-old um, child. They, they take the child out and they get her up there. They perform CPR. They get her to the hospital. And a couple days later, she was stable. So she lives. And I've read this story a couple places. And some of the places says, like, the water was very close to her face. In another couple hours, she could have drowned. Some didn't talk about it at all. So I'm not sure, like, that. all I know is they were upside down. She was in the seat. They rescued her. The responders next went to Jennifer and they saw right away that she was already deceased in the driver's seat. But all the responders on that bridge that day gave the same version of events that someone from the car, it wasn't someone under the bridge, it wasn't someone across the street, it came from the car, was calling, was screaming for help. And it was saying, we need help. It got picked up by the news. It got picked up by CNN because it was basically being called a miracle because the child lived and unfortunately the mother passed, but it was this situation of they knew she passed. She probably died on the impact. So it like who was in the car or who was that voice? You know, it wasn't the mother trying to save her, her child. And I remember reading that and I just, it gives me chills thinking about it. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. Now, 
other stories that I found on the subreddit of the paranormal Reddit, someone had asked, hey, I would really love to hear first responder stories. So here's a couple stories that I saw that that really kind of creeped me out. Are they real? I like to tend to think that Reddit does try to to tell true stories. I I've, I'm not really on Reddit. I haven't really done a lot of Reddit stories just because I know they're people's stories, and um, I always want to try to be very respectful in um, trying to tell the stories if they're true. Like creepypasta is the same way as like you know a lot of them are fiction, so. I only share, if I share those stories, we say, hey, these are fiction, these are legends. So these stories are reported to be true. If they are, very creepy. If they're not, good stories. Please just take these with a grain of salt. In 2018, there was a user called Tin Crow 25 who talked about his 911 dispatchers. And it, he didn't say specifically he was a police officer, but that's what it sounded like. like I don't know if he was sheriffs or county or whatever, but it basically was someone who responded to calls from 911. And they were getting calls from an abandoned house that they, that everyone knew of that was in this rural area in the woods. So it's kind of one of these houses where you know it's back there, maybe no one lives there, no one's ever lived there. I know our area, we have a couple houses like that. I'm thinking of the old Wolf Manor and, you know, people know of them. It's creepy. No one lives there. And so he goes out there. So whenever there's a 911 call, they, and the line is open, they have to go out there. But what the 911 call did was there was no voices, but only this weird static. But because it was an open line, they had to go investigate. So when he would, he went out there one time and he would talk to other officers and he said, no one would be around. And they didn't look like there was any phone lines and, or had electricity. So he would ask, so basically he put on Reddit, he asked users for ideas of what it could be. So he wasn't really saying it was paranormal. He was just like, you know, it's strange. It's weird. Anyone else th can think of what this could be. And some people actually said, you know, maybe a line got dirty or it's just an old line. Maybe have your 911 coordinators, you know, check this. So a lot of people were actually saying like, hey, check all this out. Then it was so funny because then he, he, he did two edits. He edited the story saying, hey, I went back out there because we had another call. And here's, um, here's the picture of the house. And it is a creepy looking house. And then he did a third edit and he said, hey, I got the 911 calls. And he puts the 911 calls up. I was going to listen to them, but then when I saw the comments, some people are like, that's really strange. And some people are like, that's not static I've heard before. It's it's a weird static. And then one um, user wrote that he listened to it. And right after he got off, he got a nosebleed. And he's never he hasn't had nosebleeds in years. And after that, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to hear that static. We don't need none of that. Yeah, right? So I, I passed on that. Now, another user, and I'm sorry, I read this story and then I refreshed the page and I lost the story because it was under like the comp, because people started commenting and saying, ooh, I got a story too and I got a story and I got a story. So I apologize. I don't have a name that went with this. But, oh, I should mention Tin Crow um, 25 put that up in 2018. He did some updates. He did some, he responded back to some commenters. But it doesn't look like anything's been updated since 2018. Mm. The next story I have 
again, I didn't get the user's name. I apologize. So if, if you've heard the story or you know the user, please let me know. I want to give credit where credit is due. But this user reports of 911 calls that she received. So she is a, a dispatcher. And she reports that there would have been a, there was an older woman with dementia who would call every day or at least every week thinking that she was calling her husband and asking for help. And this is a real life person. And the call center got to know her. And so how the Reddit poster used that explain the story is she used the name John. So she used an example of they would open a call, say 911, what's your emergency? And the woman would say, John, I need your help with the thermostat. John, I need your help with the gutters. And they would send someone out there. They would help her. And it went on. Well, one morning, it didn't really say morning. I always think of it as morning. They get a call asking the same thing. John, I need your help. They send officers out there. There's no answer. So they do a wellness check and they get in and she's passed. Well, they thought, well, her body is in rigor, but it could be the air conditions on. She could have called and hung up and it just took us a while. It, you know, they couldn't really explain it, but they were leaning on more non-paranormal, but more this happened just recently and the air conditioner is on and that's why she's in rigor. But here's the strange thing. And you got to remember, she would do this like every day or every week and people knew the voice. The 911 calls began again with the same recognizable voice asking John for help. Officers went to the now empty house but found no explanation. Soon the phones were turned off. Soon there was electricity. The electricity was turned off. The house itself, she reports, was even burned to the ground. But for a whole year after, the calls kept coming. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's that's the end of that story. And some people commented like, oh, we've gotten those calls too. There's other calls where, um, where commenters who said, yeah, I, and again, I don't know if they're paramedics, if they're sheriffs, what, but they say, yeah, when we actually have to go out to those calls, it's, it's 10 times creepier. But it's interesting to me, it's fascinating to me that this phenomenon is, like when you, when you even when you uh, watch that Paranormal 911, so many stories are similar, but each story is different. You know what I mean? Like the paramedics getting the call from a woman who fell down because, uh, you know, she hurt her leg, but her um, medical alert bracelet is downstairs and the paramedics come up. So they hear a man's voice saying, help, my wife's fallen. Paramedics come. They see a man sitting in a chair saying, my wife uh, fell upstairs. They go up. They came back down. You find out the husband died like two months ago. Like those stories creep me out, but are fascinating how everyone involved oh, experiences yeah. like it. What was it, the one at the school? Oh, yeah, that show. If you want a show that creeps you out, it's kind of like... My ghost story meets Rescue 911 from from the 90s. Yeah, I'd be like, um, do I have the option of not answering this call? <laughs> also, if you are a first responder, seriously, my hat's off to you guys. I mean, my family were first responders. Uh, I'm kind of 
I think my and my cousins are like the first generation that were not semi-civil servants, first responders. Actually, I lied. My sister-in-law is an emergency nurse, ER nurse. So, you know, seriously, my hat's off to, to you guys because you deal with some of the worst traumas. I could not imagine going through that day in and day out. So thank you. Like, I seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you because there's some people who can't do it and those who can, they do it with compassion, a calmness. And even when it's not ghosts and a creepy story, 99% of the other time it is still a horrific story to someone who's having a bad day. You know what I mean? Exactly. And we all, again, like you said, we all thank you uh, for everything you do. But okay, those were my stories. I again, if you if you yourself are a responder and want to share your stories, I would love. I'll be honored to share your stories. So uh, email us at podcastlegends at gmail dot com. I would love to hear from you. Definitely. Okay. Well, um, I guess we should do our legendary listener shout out. And where are we going today, Leslie? Well, I think we are going to Belgium. We've gotten some recent downloads from Belgium. And I actually don't know anyone in Belgium, so it has to be strangers. Thank you so much for listening, new strangers and new friends. We love your waffles. <laughs> They're probably known more for waffles. They're known for chocolate, too. I know, <laughs> but, you know, we take credit where you where you can get it, right? Like, <laughs> I would. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, and please continue to listen. Okay, well, you want to take us home, Jay? This has been another exciting and successful episode of Legends in the Dark. My name is Jay. And I'm Leslie. Your purveyors of the paranormal, your curators of the creepy. We thank you for your patronage and... Good night. Good night.